Welcome to Dancing with the Bards, where I, Chris, a bard that is filled with stuffing, along with Brooke, howdy, Ian, and our guest, Stephen, hello, and our plush companions review stuffed fables by Jerry Hawthorne. Fight off nightmare minions as you, a loyal stuffed animal, protect your child. This game comes with minis and pre-built characters, as well as a storybook with maps you play through as you fight the evil mastermind. Before we start today, on Twitch we played with our only stuffed friends on the table. I thought it would be fun to describe the to the listeners who we brought along. So, if you guys will be so inclined, uh, I will start. Uh, I brought a plush of Molly Blundell from the Epithet Erased uh, show on Verve. Uh, it was a gift from a very special someone who may or may not be at this table. Speaking of special someones and gifts, uh, this is Eevee. I have a little plush Eevee here. Pokemon, for anyone who is not familiar with one of the largest franchises <laughs> to, to ever own. <laughs> I, yeah, I was yeah. about to say. Uh, given to me by Chris when we first started dating. Um, so I have two friends here, uh, because as a child, I could never decide between the two of them anyway. So I have Loves, who is a black and white cat that does purr. Uh, <laughs> and he used to have a water bottle inside it, so it felt like a real cat. And then down below, I have a white and brown dog named Grady. And I have brought with me a roughly foots, uh, football-sized orca whale that I have uh, had and loved for most of my many years of existence. He's love, doing pretty well. I love how you described him as football-sized, as if you're Roughly. going to be fully prepared to throw them. <laughs> I mean, he does look aerodynamic. I could see it. So he's even got that shape to him. Exactly. Yeah. No, you had siblings. You definitely threw that at a sibling at some point. Uh, more or less, my father did that. <laughs> See, my father, I had lots of stuffed animals as a child, which I suppose isn't a very boy thing, but nobody ever pointed that out to me. Uh, but my father loved my stuffed animals because he would take them and hide them in various places around the house. Now, he would love to give me clues about where they were, but inevitably, all of the clues meant they're in the toilet. Aww. They never were, but I was always very upset by this. <laughs> I love he definitely that. had fun with that. The sympathetic awe that just came out of all of us. Well, because everyone here, including Will, uh, who brought his own plush, oh. everyone here is a very big fan of stuffed animals. So that hits us viscerally. I could have brought my entire Beanie Baby collection, but I didn't. That's, yeah, you were like, it's not, it's not normal for a boy to have a collection of stuffed animals. And I'm like, I have a collection of stuffed animals as an adult. <laughs> well, I mean, so do I. Although it was a mask as I was a child. Yeah. No one can judge you under Either way, I think we have a game to talk about, don't we? Yeah. Yes. One about stuffed animals, so mm -hmm. it does work out. Uh, so Stuffed Fables is a uh, tabletop RPG as established. It has... Pre-built characters for everyone to use. Unfortunately, there's not necessarily a good metric by which you can make your own, but the pre-built characters are fairly unique and... Fleshed out. Like yeah. They do have some backstory to them. And personality to boot. Grading this required a lot of thought on my part. Yeah, it, it was a, one of the more difficult ones for me as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
how did you feel about the number of players? This is a, a, a four or below amount of players. You can only go up to four. Um, and there's not a lot of room for trying to expand that in any way. Okay, so this was only up to four. Yes, right? Uh, well, four, uh, so it is, it is maximum four players. Uh, okay. If you are doing a two-player, it is recommended that you do two stuffies each. Oh, so even if so, either way you're playing four stuffed okay, animals. So uh, you players either... have three or four on the board, no matter what. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you you would need a. If you did three people, then two people would or one person would have to play two. Yes. I guess that does make sense because when we played, all four of the characters that were we were playing as had like voices or like. They were mentioned Seconds. in the storyline. That, yeah. that does affect my rating for number of players. Yeah, yeah I didn't think it was six. They had six potential characters. Everyone's but... picking up their pencils. Maybe there's six no. later on, like in different Don't chapters. There, so there are, in fact, six, well, more than six playable characters. The reason that the two that uh, we didn't use, we, uh, the reason we didn't use them... Oh, they weren't available in the story. Ex- the it, you have not met those characters in the story yet, so... But later on, they do give you the ability to switch between them. Okay. So theoretically, you can play more or have more people there, but you have to get to a certain point in the story, which is something I've never really thought about before. Now, I would say that this would be very appropriate for a small, well-contained game group who knows that they're going to get together on a regular basis to continue playing it, mm-hmm. or uh, for a moderately sized family if they're going to play it together too. I mean, it does have themes relevant to small children if you know, parents wanted to play it with their uh, at least old enough children. But personally, I found the number of players restricting. I don't think this would be all that fun with only two people, even though it is technically rated for two people. So yeah. I think that having to have either essentially three or four people playing it definitely limits your options there. So um, speaking on that, the box does say it's four, seven, and up. And as an elementary school teacher, I do not see a seven-year-old, for one, having the yes So up. I would like to add as well that it does say for seven and up, but the community consensus is ages eight plus. Part of the box. Part of the seven. box. So we have to listen to what the developers said on that. So as an elementary school teacher, the reading's too much. It takes too long. It says on the box 69 minutes. As you were saying, it takes a lot longer according to the people. Uh, I, I don't think whoever did the description on the back uh, played through it themselves. Because on both aspects, they are grossly wrong. I will say, uh, just going into this, uh, this podcast episode, I they have a lot of great ideas for this game. And they're all kind of poorly executed. Yeah. That's how I feel. So I, I really do think that whoever did the back of the box did not actually do it. I will no. also say though, in the when we were doing the reading, we didn't actually listen to them when we did the podcast because we had more of a focus on us reading them as opposed to having someone else reading them. There are QR codes that did lead to YouTube videos that were unlisted that had what I presume to be those segments of the, the text being read out so you didn't have to read it. Did any of us check that out or no? I mean, I can open up YouTube again. The oh, QR shoot. codes are nice, but they really don't substitute the fact that not everyone's going to have access to them. Not everyone is going to pay attention to them. And I, I realize they're there, and I put a high developer support for that. Uh, 
for that reason, you know, getting a little ahead of ourselves. But I wouldn't say that they're a substitute for good comprehension on rolls. I think that reading is definitely a required skill in this game regardless. And uh, that's going to impact people who are either younger and don't have that skill, or people who are older and don't have that skill. There's a lot of reasons. A lot of reading. So, uh, moving on to accessibility. Uh, this game was still available, so we, we didn't have, we've had in the past problems with finding a game because they were not in print anymore. This one seemed to be in print, and the pricing was pretty consistent at, at $60 around there throughout all of the sites that we found. It's not a game you can pick up at your, uh, like, Target or Walmart, no. but it is the kind of thing that if you wanted to do a game store, you probably find a copy of this. Worst case scenario, you can definitely get it online. Yeah, and no price gouging on the game store. Comprehension. Yeah. yeah. Huh. <laughs> so, I had to read the first one. If you want to see the, the play, we might have it up on YouTube. Read um, Yes. So, when I had to read the first page, uh, I'm dyslexic, and the font was in italics, and I have not had to read italics in so long that my brain was just not enjoying it. <laughs> Is this a G or an L followed by an O? Yeah, it, it's it was it was hard for me to go through it. I was finger reading on my phone trying to get through it, and it was rough. As I said, there's a lot of great ideas here. They have the different colored dice. They have a lot of different tokens, different sided tokens. There's a lot going on, and I feel like some of it was executed poorly. Some of it was executed great. I like having the QR codes there. We mentioned before. They're they're fantastic, but they really don't they it doesn't really help with the fact that there's a lot of rule there's a lot of things going on. The rule book is only like five pages despite that, it looked like. And well, how many uh, pages of the rule book? Well how many pages of the rule book? Uh which rule book? The small one? Yeah, the small one. Uh it should be like thirteen or fourteen okay, pages. So it's pretty bad that yeah. we described that rule book as the small rule book. <laughs> well, it's well, the we, only rule. Well, yeah. truth be told, the reason I clarified is the, the the each page does have rules specific to the page, if I remember correctly. Um, so I have been referring to the storybook itself as the big rule book, um, despite the fact Sensible. that that's really kind of the game itself. Gotcha. Um, so I guess uh, I would say that since this game does kind of skirt the border between tabletop board game and tabletop role-playing game, that uh, the level of you know complexity there is also kind of somewhere between the two. Kind of depending on what angle you come from, you could find it either refreshing or burdensome. As far as comprehension, we did have a couple of moments where we were uncertain of the rules, but that's also easy to write off as you know we're not all that familiar with them yet. I think you could definitely. I definitely thought that jury's still out for me on that one. But I do uh, admit, this is among the more you know, convoluted of games. Speaking of, you know, a lot in convoluted materials. We're doing a Ooh, lot we, of segues. We are, we are doing a lot of, like, <laughs> stated segues. Speaking of segues. Finger guns. Well, I, I feel the two have a lot in common. The materials were great, but also one of the reasons that this is a lot harder to comprehend. You brought up the point that... <laughs> The dice aren't actually the color listed as the dice. So when we were looking through the dice, there were orange dice or red dice listed in the rules. 
But three out of the five people in the room were like, this is more of a shade of orange. <laughs> I, I definitely feel like if you have, um, depending on your interpretation of what each color is, you'll have more difficulties or less difficulties on determining which one is which. Uh, for me, the purple die that signified like wild cards looked more pink to me. Uh, the other dice though, the red, blue, green, and yellow dice all looked like those colors. It was just that one specific one that I was like, that's not purple. That's maybe a lavender. Like oh, I mean, it would be closer to magenta. Lavender is more of a, a well, yeah, it, blue toned purple. Sorry, again, the art just comes out of me. I'm destroyed. In the uh, developer's defense, I would like to say that, well, personally, I perceived the colors that they mentioned, and two, I perceived all of the different colors as distinct. Like, whatever the red dice might have been, was it red, was it orange, it really couldn't be confused for another one of the other dice. It clearly wasn't yellow, it clearly wasn't purple or green or blue or black. Yeah. Uh, the, in terms of the purple, yeah, we can argue about exactly what shade of purple it was, or was it actually pink, but it was close enough to purple that it, I didn't see it as anything else, or possibly anything else. Mm -hmm. In my head, they just didn't have to bring up the colors. They gave the dice new names anyway, so the fact that they had the colors and the dice's name next to each other on the score sheet, so if you look, there was the color, hyphen, and like, range tag or something. So, they didn't need to, like, add in the colors. They already had new names, and those little, little sheets, which I always love when they have the extra cheat sheets, had pictures of the dice anyway. They could have dropped the color and, and had this non-issue. <laughs> How would they have distinguished the dice without the color? They had the picture of the dice with the color, and they were right to the dice itself. And then next to that, they had the name of the color of the dice, and then the name of the main thing that dice did up on the top. So just removing the So the just by removing the, the color name, it would have been a non-issue for me. Ah. So... Because it's clearly the color it is, yeah, why write what it was? Yeah, there's a picture of a green dice. They could have just put picture of green dice, range dice, instead of putting picture green dice, green, range tech. Like, that just was extra for no reason. Because when you think about an apple, like when you think of an apple in your head, the image of that apple is red to you. And when you say an apple, most people will think red or, I yeah. see you leaning in, or green or yellow. Red right. is probably your archetypal apple. Yeah, but right. when you when you say a red apple, now now everyone's got a different image of that apple, and instead of thinking, oh well, that apple's not a red apple, that's like an orange apple, it's a, a difference in interpretation. Yeah. So I feel very strongly about this, and I have to <laughs> mention why I'm sounding like an absolute raving lunatic. Uh, when you are tested for learning disabilities, the test you take is uh, ranging everything from severe autism to uh, very low things like ADHD and, and dyslexia, where it's, it's a wide range of abilities doing it. And uh, I was once asked the question, true or false, are all apples purple? And I felt uh, very gaslit in that moment. Uh, it was one of the more, because I was, I was going for a recheck on dyslexia. You have to redo this every three years. So this was a question asked to me in high school for something that had nothing to do with my diagnosis. 
And it was just one of those things that now whenever someone has the color name and it's not the right color, my I, I get very defensive because I'm brought back to that moment. With the exception of Dice Colors, the materials for this game were pretty great artistically. I really enjoyed the art on the cards. I really enjoyed the detail on the minis. That's why I got a three for me. I felt that the material in general were pretty great, with the exception of minute differences in dice color. With that and the stars. Star punch-outs. Great bleed lines on these again. I'm a sucker, sucker for bleed lines on these type of punch-outs. But the color choices they did for the stars made it look like they were punched incorrectly when they were not. Sorry, I'm done. Can we circle back to the dice discourse? Because I want to show around and that little fool. No. How long do you want the podcast to be? Four hours. Okay, well, go ahead then. All about that content, baby. So I especially love the the fact that the purple dice were actually <laughs> okay. Ah. I I've never actually heard that. Uh, all apples are purple. Well, thing. it was it was one question on one test that I did in the five times I took the uh, Do you have a disability test? It's it's just one of those things where like if I if I saw that I would like take my test and I'd walk to whoever the oh. administrator is and I'd be like hey I think you got this wrong it's it's not it's not written it is spoken what? so someone looks at you deadpan and asks you that that's why like it's such a moving on this is a whole other we need to have like a, a sidebar thing because it's I have stories put a pen in dancing with the bards nighttime edition yeah we can we can do that at some point um, so. After materials, we have Ray of Play. We mentioned it briefly. The box versus what we experience are two very different time periods. So Will was saying on the community aspect, it was, what, 90 to 120 minutes? Exactly. Yes. Okay, so it was 90 to 120 minutes. On the box, it says each section of the book. It actually doesn't specify the section of the book. It just says this game takes 60 to 90 minutes. It doesn't specify each chapter takes that time. So that was a fucking lie. story. Yeah, so for this, our story, uh, we only got through one section, took us probably 90 minutes. Mm, More than that? Yeah, we, okay. were, we were streaming for two hours, just about. Uh, yeah, but we also had some snafus in between. But we, you gotta factor in setup and yeah, me not knowing what either, I'm doing. Either way, even if we we'll were like well-versed in this... I feel like it would have taken a lot longer than the, than it, but it says on the tin, and the community clearly agrees with us. Yeah. As long as you have a reasonable expectation, however, at that point you can kind of work with it. Yeah. It's I, as I said, I think a little bit earlier, but probably not on air. This definitely plays like a legacy game. It's designed to be played in several segments over time. So, uh, it's. Yeah, I think that as long as you're expecting 90 to 120 minutes, then you've got a reasonable expectation, even with setup and teardown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish they gave us more baggies. Yeah. yeah. please give us more baggies. Back to materials. <laughs> Sorry, no, I just I just thought of that brain blast. Like, I just wish a game would give us, even if they gave us, like, more than we needed, I'd be happier. Like, we need more things to organize. Even if they gave you rubber bands. Like, yeah. just something. I don't need really rubber bands like no, yeah, rubber bands I tend to bad. be pretty picky personally about yeah. how my games are organized within the box. I want them to be, you know, in good places. I don't want to pick up a box and find that everything is turned into a mishmash of, well, it's been shaken around a little bit. And it did seem like this game didn't quite come.
come with enough to keep it in my comfort zone, where uh, we had it to add, like, bags to help organize the different things that came out of it. It's honestly somewhat typical of a lot of games, where normally you need to add your own organization to it, but it's just one of those things that I would have liked to see, too. And surprisingly, so um, a lot of the times when the box doesn't have it, Etsy has a special person that will make you a lovely organizer for it. Uh, Stuff Fables does not have someone selling organizer yet. Yeah. So those usually, if they were to make them, run an extra $50 for organization. I would like to add, the box itself is very well organized. Like it's Yes, it, it, it in itself has box. spots for things, but it doesn't, like go that extra step of giving you items to help with what they're setting up. I'm just going to say there are many kinds of tokens involved. There are several different decks of cards that are clearly marked, to be fair. If you combined the cards, it wouldn't be that hard to separate them. I'm just saying that with uh, the boxes pretty well made, it has two separate troughs on which you can keep things. And my level of comfort asks for more. That's just me. I'm drawing a blank on the name of the game, but it's the one where you have two different genres that you mash together. Smash Up? Smash Up. If you look at the way that Smash Up has their troughs set up for their uh, game, you have the little slots for each one. Mm-hmm. That Adding that to those troughs would have made it miles better as far as organization. Would this be similar to the way that a Dominion's box is organized, for example? Yeah. Okay. I just speak of like, a lot of people who played Smash Up. So for sure, I, I also, with the breakdown and setup, uh, rate of play, it's it takes a while to set up, it takes a while to break down, you have to think about that when you're thinking about, can I play this game tonight? And that's just a setup that's not like explaining the rules or anything, yeah. that's just getting all the pieces together. Now, to go a little bit to the side of that, once you're into the game itself, I personally found that while we were running into kind of starts and stops as we clarified the rules, other than that, the turns that we went through felt pretty snappy. Mm-hmm. It, uh, there wasn't a lot of excess going on there, and as long as we kind of knew what to expect, they kind of moved. The only I've... segment in the game that I'd probably say that was a little slow, aside from the, the combat sequences, was the actual reading part. Yeah, that, that did take a chunk of time, especially with the uh, Session Zero, as we dubbed it, where mm-hmm. I was just reading the opening. Um, that did take, that was a, a hefty page. Yes, it was. As for the cost for this, $60 for the box, brand new. I have paid $60 for games that have a foldable board, five pages of rules, and some really cheap plastic meeples. $60 for a storybook, like four different packs of cards, easily 15 to 20 different minis, player okay. cards, good art, all that stuff, worth, worth the price. Yeah. It's good the to material value in that box, high. Yeah. Yes. Especially with the detail on the minis. Oh, yeah. Though the minis are unpainted. Yeah, but I, I'd rather them unpainted. If painting is such a uh, specific person-to-person joy. As, as a person that, that is very big into painting minis, I will agree that getting unpainted is big. Um, but on top of that, I usually find if you get painted minis, um, they're usually a lot lower quality or a lot cheaper, um, which I'm, I'm glad to see that I would rather take an unpainted mini that is of higher quality plastic 
than something that's cheaper that uses that soft rubbery plastic. I, I do say, though, that like the technology is starting to get there where it's going to be very soon, I think we're going to get high-quality news. Uh, Hero Forge has recently come out with, I believe, a way to paint minis in shop where you choose exactly where the paint goes. Uh, and they don't come out half bad. Yeah, but that's the, those are still painted by a guy, and I those are still a so. yeah, yeah, they're a hundred dollars, and it's because a guy has to hand paint them. Oh, I thought that so the way it was, it was displayed, it seemed like they were doing some form of like three D printing color shifts. I so I thought that too, but there's just there's no way to get that level of fine detail. Okay. Um. Because I thought it was the same as like you know when you go to go to a con and they have that booth where you can get yourself three D printed, um, where you just step into a booth and they they scan you with colors and all. How do you know that when you step out you're the same you that went in? <laughs> um, Metaphysical. Who? Now you're the mini. Now I will say they they do all Hero Forge I know do does offer like a a large you know selection of primary colors that it can print in. Yeah. But for like I said, fine detail work, which okay. is if you're gonna drop the money on a Hero Forge mini that's painted, you're gonna get the detail work. I mean, the eyes are the hardest part usually, and they have some of the those coolest eyes. <laughs> I love doing the eyes on my minis. Yeah, um, I do them. like that these are mid tone minis. Sometimes they do white instead of mid tone, and this does make it easier for painters when it's mid tone. Because uh, all you have to do is spray a little bit of white paint top down, and you get the highlights. White paint, what are you, oh yeah, no, you're right, white paint, highlights, black paint, face, well, yep. face. Uh, and this is a deep gray, so it would be easy to repaint these. I do think that for people who don't necessarily like painting, uh, it's not a draw. Usually if they're different colors, like one's orange, one's red, people who don't like the paint would have appreciated that more than like this table who does like customizing their stuff. Mini painting is a big part of the hobby. That it often goes untalked about. And we can <gasps> force the podcast listeners to listen to four hours. I am firmly in the camp of I could, I am not at all into painting minis. But so I'm just like, hey, people who like painting minis want some minis. <laughs> and could I have them back when you're done? I heard you like. Minis, so I brought you a bunch of my minis. But then again, uh, I'm not. I could play with those gray minis all day. Oh yeah, they're they're still they still have their value. Um, just most of at least I think Will has a different way to find communities than I do because most of the communities that I found were just centered around painting the minis. Um, so I didn't give him the best score on that because I couldn't find the community on my own. I just went on the Board Game Nerds website uh, okay, for this. Okay, I don't use Board Game Nerds, so board I'll, I'll go have to look at Board Game Nerds from now on when I'm getting the background. We talked about how this game came with QR codes where they had someone read out rules and bits and pieces for the game. I kind of counted that towards developer support, and I feel that's a lot of really what they... It's the best thing that you could do as a developer for... A board game to support it other than just expansions so i thought that was pretty good yeah i would like to make an addendum to the qr codes i did look at the one that i had opened previously and it wasn't him reading the actual segment of that book it was him explaining the the heart mechanic uh those supplemental abilities that we could use so i don't think all of them are like that or maybe the first one was but i had scanned the third one on that page 
which might have been more of a, a rules-oriented one as opposed to the uh, actual reading out of that. So oh, no. we, we figured that out already. We talked about that because uh, we looked at the QR code. We, we looked one of them up and found that it really just discussed rules. It didn't read the sheet for you. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. helpful for rules clarifications, and I think that that definitely enhances the comprehension aspect of the game. And uh, it's nice of the developers to put together that additional step that you can go through. It's, I think, helpful for people for whom, like, the reading comprehension would have left them a little bit, uh, you know, gone. There's a <laughs> Sorry, word there, I was dancing I in the corn. I was distracting them with my boots. Bad reading <laughs> comprehension club. Um, so the one thing I did want to bring up uh, was moving forward to the mods. There was no way that someone could make meaningful changes to this game. Like, there's a few rules you can homebrew, but there's no, like, I'm going to make a new stuffed animal. Any changes to this game would require looking at, even if you were just running this new story for this, you have to design multiple branches, you have to design hidden objects. Any amount of effort to add to this game would require a lot of work. You would be making a whole new game. Yeah. You, you wouldn't be able to adapt this. You would have to completely reinvent the wheel. On a comparison between board game and tabletop role-playing game, uh, this falls firmly into kind of the board game side of the camp. Board games typically are self-contained. They're designed to be played as is and not modified, per se. Uh, tabletop role-playing games typically have a lot more room for modification. Uh, this doesn't, so... It's in this weird middle ground between the two that I can't decide if I like or hate. <laughs> there are definitely board games and party games, etc., that allow for creation. Even, as, this is a poor example compared to how complex this is, but the cyanide and happiness joking hazard game, right? They give you blank cards where you can draw your own comic panels, for example. I've seen games that have online communities where they've ported it to online so you can play with friends you know without having to be in person this seems to have none of that and the way that it's made makes that very difficult i feel i mean hell even uno has blank cards and then again some of those games have a simpler rule set where adding yeah. in cards is this would require an entirely new story entirely yeah. new characters all of which would require a significant amount of work not to mention then no balance i i will say if you do play the uh anime uh, what is it called? Epithetery. Is that what it's called now? It's not the anime. Well, it's so system? technically it's anime campaign anime, is the okay. campaign that it was played in, but when it got moved into its TV show version, yeah. it became Epithetery. So you could, you could try and use that type of a system to make a new stuffed animal. It just would not be part of the story, because the story is already pre-written. So if you are versed in that uh, system, I don't think it would be as hard as say like us who don't play that, but like I'm sure Chris could figure something out, is what I'm trying to say. Like, if you have experience making things and abilities from scratch, um, this might be easier. Uh, expect it to play like a board game in that sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will say we will cover the epithetic system eventually. We've mentioned it like six times. <laughs> I can't wait. Episode. I, this, is, this is one that, this is a, a personal favorite of mine, which is why I bring it up so often. Now, Anyone who's listening to this front to back is going to be so blue-balled about the episode erased. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you're like, God damn it, I already know what's happening. 
back to stuffed fables for a second, mm-hmm. kind of on the plus side, what the uh, players not really given the leeway to make their own content for the game. They do have an expansion, you t- told me, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have an expansion which does... Uh, Will does, was saying before that it does not seem like it's standalone. I've had people say that Oh Brother is standalone, um, but Will knows this better than I do. So there is an expansion, and you said not standalone. So I I do not believe it, it's it's standalone. I do know it adds new player characters, but I believe you need to have some of the original uh, stuffed animals for the new story to make sense. It's supposed... Um, Oh Brother is is supposedly supposed to be a continuation of the main storyline. Um, the main character, who is a little girl, now has a younger brother. Um, the little girl is now a little bit older. Uh, she doesn't need the stuffed animals to protect her as much, and so the stuffed animals protect the little brother now. So in terms of story, it is solidly a continuation where without the base game, it wouldn't make nearly as much sense. Uh, mechanically, a little bit less so but still somewhat dependent on the base game to really play out. Yeah. I've said before that for a board game to get a good expansion score for me, it usually needs to have like at least two to three. Taking into consideration the fact that this game has a lot of moving parts that are connected from branching storylines to introducing new characters, I'd honestly say one is enough. For this, because a lot of work would have to go into any type of expansion for this in order to match it with the existing story. Yeah. Now, on our sheet, we do have sliding scales between classic and innovative. Um, I'm just kind of curious. I think we, just looking at the table, we might actually at least be on the same page for which side we're leaning towards. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in three, two, one. Innovative. innovative classic. Oh, oh, you did it. Classic. Uh oh, sorry. Innovative complex. Yeah. Okay. I was oh, gonna say okay. you did classic. I, 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 I literally yes. just said it's, innovative classic. I know. Yes, I'm like, what are you about? Um, it's right down the middle. Yeah, innovative complex. We, we were I, I across the board. I don't think that any of us thought otherwise. Yeah. No. This this one is one of the ones where it's very clear where it leans. Sometimes mm-hmm. we we kind of bicker back and forth on what makes something innovative and what makes something classic. But this one... Quite distinct. Yeah. I liked the innovative side of this. I feel like, as far as complex games go, it could have used a little more oomph to it. A little more... uh, It it just was very hard to understand as a new player. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. If you're going to play this game, then you should expect, ahead of time, to study the rules. That uh, that's kind of an expectation here if you want to have a good time, unless you can count on somebody guiding you through it for your first time, somebody else who has already done that. It's it's the kind of complex that you really can't just walk into. I feel like you're trying to call me out right now. You are a big help. Oh. Any final comments on this before we give our final scores? Um, I'd like to talk about Innovative for a little bit, as yeah. uh, we've mentioned that it really does straddle the line between board games and TTRPGs. Mm. It's not the only game to have ever done that, but I think that especially with its aesthetic, it is no and kind of a class of its own right there. I, as a avid TTRPG player, uh, I would see this as a great way of taking people that were more into board games and really kind of ex- bringing them a little bit further into the TTRPG community. 
It has a lot of the more standard board game elements. The rule sets only 14 pages, which is something that only a TTRPG player could play, say. Uh, uh, and, you know, as far as complexity goes, I'm just thinking like, okay, I play D&D, &D and that has all of the rules, every single one. Mm -hmm. So this, I think that if you really wanted to get somebody into the mindset of a TTRPG without bombarding them with a lot of the harder parts of it, this is a decent introduction to that, as long as you can get them into it. Like, it's still a lot of rules compared to a lot of different board games. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure was a board game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I do agree. I also think that if you are a group of people who are looking for a low-prep uh, game to play, like some TTRPGs, if, you have, if you're a DM, it's a lot of work on the back end. And this is one of those games where you don't need to prep up beforehand. Like, it does take a while to set up physically, but there's nothing like if you need to do the day before or the week before. And if you have a busy life, but you still want to hang out with your friends, this gives you that every week we come here, we play this game, we have two boxes worth of this storyline to go through. It gives you a decent amount to go through before you need to find a new thing to do with your buddies. It really does. I think that in terms of the number of hours you can get out of playing just that box, it's a high number of hours for a box. Uh, it's, I think that once you kind of get through the story several times, if you start seeing what the branching paths are, at that point, it's going to lose its replay value, and that's where the expansion could be helpful, but again, you have to pay more money for that. Yeah. But, uh, so it's it's not a game where you could literally play it forever like Monopoly. Yeah, right? it's that trade-off, though, between like the low prep uh, with mm -hmm. still some TTRPG aspects um, with like how much time you have. Indeed. So if you don't have it, this is a good like substitute until you can either find a campaign book that you want to run or something like that. This is a good good filler if you're busy in life. I can barely play Monopoly once, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've landed on Boardwalk for the second time. This is nothing new. Boardwalk uh, that being said, though, I do want to say I would not buy this game myself. Uh, like this, this is not one, even though the minis are cool, I would not be getting this for my own shelf. I like playing it with a friend. I wouldn't buy this and try to introduce it to new groups. It just seems, it's, it's a headache to do that. It's great to play, not so great to own. I'm gonna, I also would not buy this, but I'm gonna put a little caveat on that. I would buy this if there was some method by which I could uh, put in my own like character in there that would replace one of the, the characters in the story. Because I feel like that would make me feel more connected to the game. And uh, I would say I would buy this. However, I would not buy it for myself. Uh, while I love the art, the art is beautiful and fun to look at, and it's really fun to kind of consider, this game really isn't my aesthetic. And that's, a, that's I think, a very personal thing. It's nothing really no, reflecting on the game itself. However... I do manage a club at my high school where you know, kids come to play board games. And with the exception of really getting students into the game, they come to my club once a week for approximately two hours, maybe a little bit less. So if there were a group of four people that regularly came to play this game, this would have them 
busy for months, probably. Yeah. So, now, granted, that doesn't allow for kind of the flux of different students coming in or out, and that's kind of a minus to it, but it definitely has the right length for a group of people to be able to play within that time slot. And uh, that's something that I could be kind of uh, attracted to when you know, looking for games that students could possibly play. I would also say the fact that it has pre-made characters and a engineered story means that you don't necessarily have to have the same group when you run this. If you have like a set three people who are the same and one person who's new, they can just kind of take over the role of the character that someone else isn't playing. You just have to right work on that. the interpersonal part because you are in a high school and as much as we say like as adults, we're like, yeah, just sub someone in for me. Like, high schoolers don't have that same mentality. That would be a part where I would really have to communicate with the kids, like, is it okay if somebody takes your spot for a week? Definitely communicate with each other. Now, make sure that everybody's okay with that eventuality before you just do it. So it, it is a good opportunity, however, for social development, because just being aware that somebody might not be okay with that Considering their feelings, th this is an opportunity uh, in, a, in a box. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's more learning there than you might expect. Yep. And if they are not okay with that, you can just tell them to get set. <laughs> this Our is why I'm a teacher. And, yeah. <laughs> so. okay. and that's why I'm not a teacher. Nah. <laughs> There's two teachers at the table. Two and a half. You were a teacher. I was and, a teacher. And then you, you left. Uh, so we have two and a half teachers at the table. I was an assistant teacher, technically. You couldn't get me two to and touch children with a foot pole. You don't like kids? Mm. Okay. Either way. Um, I was once a kid. I hate being it. <laughs> so, for my total score, I had a 26. What about you, Chris? Uh, 27. 28. 32 for me. Oh, oh wow. wow. You were the one that was a little bit most critical of it. Yeah. You were talking earlier, so I'm, I'm a little surprised with you there. That puts us as uh, at a 28.25, so we're going to say a 28 out of 42, so it's above mid uh, midline, but not by much. Reminder, just because scores uh, a little, did you say above midline? It's, a, it's still above midline. Okay. Just because it has sort of a middling score doesn't necessarily mean that we didn't enjoy it. It was certainly very fun when we played it. It's just as we put it on our, our scale, it sort of scored a little less than some games that we've had a lot of fun with. It still is fun to play. It didn't have like a negative score. It's, I mean, amongst the many board games that are out here, this is a decent one. Mm -hmm. I think where my score varied from you guys is I gave it pretty good scores overall and things like developer support and expansions, whereas you guys gave it middling to lower scores for that. Yeah, I, I, I definitely went middle of the road there. Part of that was my less familiar with uh, what was there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but yeah, right. it kind of all balances My out. big issue was the uh, ability for community to make their own content. I gave up flat zero, uh, <laughs> which you can check up on the Facebook page to see exactly how we placed our scores. But I did not even put that down because I did not see a way to do that in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. I would almost expect that from most uh, most of my board games. Most board games don't have a meaningful way to introduce content on the player side. We've seen it in some cases uh, where even if it's like you can find a way to homebrew it yourself, like you have, I can't okay. even see like rules that we could change. Okay, yeah, right. Like, so you know, the introduction of variant rules, for example, 
Yeah. Okay, I, I get you there. There's a lot of board games that you know are commonly played slightly different than how they're written, and that ends up for you know a fun experience or an even better experience. Whereas this has enough complexity to it that it would kind of be hard to do that on a meaningful scale. Yeah, it, it would not change the game enough to make it special for your group. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, boy, I don't know about you, but I'm stuffed after that fable. Uh, <laughs> it left me in stitches. Please, please no. <laughs> uh, then don't let me write the intros and outros anymore. Uh, thanks again to our guest, Stephen, for joining us today, and thank you for coming along on this bedtime adventure. You can keep up with all the fun by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Dancing with the Bards. You can get sneak peeks on upcoming episodes on Twitch at The Bards. And if, if this game seems interesting to you, don't forget to show our game developers some love. Bye, everybody. Thanks Bye -bye. for listening. Bye-bye.